The Witch Way Spellcast with Sorceress Chisholm. Hello and konbanwa from Tokyo Town. It is Sorceress with you tonight on this full moon in Libra. Ooh la la, Libra. I am winging it this episode. It is the 12th episode, which could be the anniversary of this podcast, which is fantastic. And I'm very proud of this little podcast. I'm very happy that it has gotten out to the people it has gotten out to. I hope you're enjoying it. Thank you for your comments and your feedback and everyone who has appeared on this podcast as guests. It's been incredible to uh, interview such inc- incredible creative people um, around the world. It's such a global phenomena, this podcast, you know, so I hope it can grow and expand. Blessed be. So how's everybody doing? It is um, an interesting time of year. Um, so the full moon is happening in Libra, an air sign. This Easter Saturday and Sunday, depending on where you are on the planet, tomorrow is Good Friday. I'm recording this on Thursday. Tomorrow is Good Friday, according to the Christian calendar. And then we've got the Easter weekend with this big ass full moon in Libra. I mean, hello. I mean, you can't get more poetic than that, right? So Easter bunnies and you know, crucified gods and wounded healers and balance and temperance and seeing the shadow in the self and all of this stuff. It's coming up. As I said, I am winging it tonight. I've got my throat coat tea, little manuka. The weather's been crazy in Tokyo. It was really, really hot. It got really hot super quickly. And then we got a cool change last night and it's just like, you know, Anyway, cheers. I hope you're having something pleasant to drink. Um, So yeah, things are a little bit back and forth, push and pull. It's pretty intense right now. Um, So let me me just sort of ground this and, and bring it through. Okay, so we're still in Aries season. The sun is still floating through Aries, gung ho, all, all systems go. It's like, all right, first sign of the zodiac, this is it, we initiate stuff, right? And Libra is coming in to reflect that, okay? Libra is the scales, okay? It's the only sign in the zodiac that is not a living thing, yeah? It is an entity, it's its, its own it's a machine almost. It's like the, the scales of balance, right? The scales are used in so many different mythologies, yeah? It's judgment. It's about taking the time to balance things, okay? So, let's, yeah, let's take a deep breath. Ah, that was good. <laughs> um, and so what else? It's squaring Pluto, The Lord of the Underworld is featuring heavily on this uh, particular full moon. And so Pluto is just this driving force that changes things. It's unstoppable. It is that constant thing called change. 
and it is this pressure that is forcing a lot of us to take stock of who we are as individuals yeah the Aries is about the self right whereas Libra is about others um on that axis yeah so it's really pushing us to take some space with this to step back from it and to take a good look at what's going on in our relationships are there power struggles there um, it's about being responsible for the long term, seeing the bigger picture. Okay. Things need to be worked out. Things are constantly evolving between the sun and the moon. Yeah. It's okay if you don't know what to do. This is something that just came to me while I was mooching about kind of going, what am I doing? What am I going to talk about tonight? And it just said, you don't have to know. It's okay. <laughs> like, oh, great. That's encouraging, actually. I don't have to have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. Who does, right? Um, but this is a great time to be having conversations. Libra likes communication. It likes, it wants a win-win situation. Yeah. It wants the best for everyone involved. So these are some of the insights that I am feeling for this astro um, for this month. For this full moon and the energy through till the next um, new moon and then the next full moon. I only do these podcasts every full moon. I'm thinking about doing them every new moon. I don't know. It might happen. See how we go. Um, but yeah, this is also about karma. And I think what Pluto's doing here is that Pluto's really saying, you don't want to go down these paths anymore. You're done with that, right? Seriously, it's time to move on <laughs> forgive yourself and move on right it's the only way um so yeah but there's a lot of pressure as we're obviously feeling you know things are very uncertain right now but it's okay it's okay not to know the answers is is what i'm really getting for this and the fact that this is such a sacred weekend for so many people right resurrection yeah um yeah it's probably a good time to do some ritual light some candles um if you are a follower of the christian faith in some way hey why not you know have a good look at it under a microscope acknowledge what it is the stories that we've been told since we were children um a lot of it has resonance um in yeah in many themes many myths have the resurrected god as one of their major players yeah so this could be very very profound for a lot of people yeah um so yeah full moon um good time for ritual good time for really um you know bringing that down drawing down the moon as it were okay and it's it's also a good opportunity to just yeah reassert what your boundaries are um and at the same time, don't just agree and give yourself away. But it's about compromise, potentially. Um, and the recent uh, big old conjunction between Neptune and Jupiter is definitely taking us on this tidal surge <laughs> in a transpersonal kind of way. Um, it's, yeah, it's very... 
Woo, yeah, it's it's quite rough for a lot of people right now. There's a lot of stuff that's churning and changing and we're like, whoa, whoa, I'm in the maelstrom here. What do I do? I've got to find driftwood. Just hold on. The last time Jupiter and Neptune were in conjunction in Pisces was in 1856. And this was the onset of a lot of people really getting into spiritualism and really going into new realms, exploring new frontiers of uh, their psychic abilities and their connection with the divine and talking with ghosts and research into the occult yeah the turn of the 20th century saw all of the um, you know in in England in particular the OTO and the Golden Dawn and Crowley and Dion Fortune and Mather is the curiosity about what's beyond right so we could be we could be on the threshold of a renaissance of a sort. Yeah. It's very interesting to see how the Neptune Jupiter uh, conjunction recently has stirred up everyone's emotions as well. Yeah. Pisces rules the ocean. It's a water sign. So, um, yeah, it's not to be taken lightly. So this is the astro for this full moon in Libra. I'm going to pull a tarot card and I'm also going to be interviewing the wonderful Bianca Bailey and Marcellus Neely later in the show. So do stick around for that. They are two incredible poets whom I've met here um, in my travels as a poet and they have put together a collection of many poems and pictures and photographs and stage productions, short stories from the black diaspora in Japan and beyond. So I do hope you'll stick around for that. But now let's go to a tarot card. Okay. Well, speak of the devil himself. I thought, why not consult the Toth Crowley Harris deck. It's been a while. I usually consult the Rider Waite and uh, figured, well, perhaps it's uh, appropriate. <laughs> so I am now shuffling the cards and I will select a card for the month. This Libra full moon. What advice can the tarot give us for the month ahead? Okay, I am now going to select a card. The Priestess. Wow, blessed be. The High Priestess. Yeah, awesome. This is perfect. This is, oh, I'm feeling, yeah, there's a real goddess energy about this moon. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if the angel Venus is, is, is doing the work 
a lot of the work behind the curtain for us. She's out there, the goddess. She is assisting this process. She's the midwife to this process for a lot of us on planet Earth and perhaps the Earth herself. We're coming up to Earth Day in a few weeks' time. So the High Priestess is saying to let go and to enjoy the paradox. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a major arcana. It's number two. So two, again, it's about balance. Yeah, the scales and harmony and yin-yang and finding that solution, the win-win situation that I was talking about earlier. The Hive Priestess is yeah, calling us to ritual. It is calling us to deeper memories and knowings and understandings of things. It's about recalling information as well. And it is very much associated with the divine feminine, the unknown, the within. Yeah, it is uh, very much a yin energy. So there's a lot of yang energy right now with all this Aries, gung-ho, you know, going, going to war and battles. And it's just, okay, you've got to find the quiet got to find the quietude and sit in that quietude and this full moon on the Easter weekend <laughs> remember who uh, was one of the first to greet the sun on Easter morning so with that I will call this a tarot reading for this month Everybody, welcome to the Witch Race Spellcast. I am very excited to introduce to you my guests for this month, being the special anniversary show as well. Let me introduce you to Bianca Bailey and Marcellus Neely. Hi guys, how are you? Hi, thanks for having us. Um, I'm good. I'm just um, <laughs> sitting here having a relaxing Sunday evening. Yeah, it's a rainy day out there. How are you, yeah. Marcellus? I'm doing really, really good, too. Uh, also sitting here on a rainy Sunday evening. Mm -hmm. uh, the house is a bit chilly, so I'm trying to stay warm. And other than that, just relaxing. Congratulations on the production of Umoja. And it is a collection of poems from the Black Diaspora of Japan. Well, the, the Black Diaspora in Tokyo and beyond. So, and beyond. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it's, you know, starting from Tokyo and then reaching outwards to connect with other members of the Black Diaspora and see what their points of view are in terms of uh, poetry, short stories and art. Wonderful. That's right. We, we have uh, contributors, not only from people who live in Japan, uh, but also from Africa, from Canada, from North America, 
Uh, Canada is North America. Sorry about that. <laughs> Canada from the United States, <laughs> uh, from South America, from South wow. Africa, many, 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 many different places. From oh, around. wow. So not just Japan, from everywhere. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, I, I saw in the contents you've got like over 30 contributors to this uh, collection. It's amazing. Right. Um, so a little background for our listeners. So uh, we all met through the poetry scene many, many moons ago, uh, Drunk Poets See God event that Sam Bennett and I were hosting from 2013 till 2020. And it was always a pleasure to have you there to hear your wonderful poems and stories. Um, and, yeah, I'm, I'm super chuffed to be speaking to you tonight about this publication that you have put out through Tokyo Poetry Journal. Mm-hmm. How yeah, did it all thanks. come together? Well, I'll let Marcella start with this one because he okay. was the one who got on board first. Okay. Uh, so the way it started together actually was Jeffrey Johnson had contacted me. Uh, he's one of the guys over there at Tokyo Poetry Journal. And around the time when there was a lot of social unrest uh, behind the George Floyd trial and his murder and uh all the protests around the world. Apparently, uh, Jeffrey felt like he also wanted to do something, but he didn't know what to do, you know. Mm. And so he came to me and he he asked me, what do you think about publishing a book of black poetry uh, through the journal? And honestly, originally, I I thought, "Mm, why, why? Why are you asking me this, Jeffrey? <laughs> but then the more I thought about it, the more I thought that, you know, it was a great idea for many, many reasons. Uh, the first and foremost, of course, was just the opportunity to be a part of the Tokyo Poetry Journal family. Uh, you guys, uh, those guys have some really, really great, kind people over there and people who I deeply respect. And the other great reason for doing this was because of the general idea that representation matters mm-hmm. and uh, having an opportunity to represent the voices of the black diaspora uh, through Tokyo, through our Japanese experience and reaching out from Tokyo and Japan to the world, I thought was something kind of magical because I don't think that it has been done before. And so when I thought about how I would go about doing this, the first person who came to mind to help me was Bianca. And so I contacted Bianca and begged her to please help me. We didn't actually <laughs> beg. <laughs> and so, yeah, Bianca joined and here we are. Wow. Yeah. Fantastic. How has living as a writer in Japan shaped your identity? How has it influenced your work? Well, first of all, um, when I started writing from when I was young, when I was in secondary school, um, that's when I started writing seriously. I mean, technically I started writing when I was around eight, when I used to write um, fan fiction for my favorite cartoons in exercise books, um, complete with illustrations. And um, so, like, you did when the I, illustrations? You did I did, the illustrations? I did, like, I, I'm not good at drawing, but I could trace off other pictures. <laughs> so, I would <laughs> do that. But um, I started writing seriously when I was in secondary school. 
Um, I started entering literary arts competitions um, for poetry. And um, for me, like poetry was, writing poetry was a very solitary um, act. Uh, I'm kind of an introvert and I liked the, the, the opportunity that poetry writing had you know, offered to, you know, let me just sit and do this activity looking inward and not really having to expend so much energy, um, expend a lot of social energy, right? So how my experience as a writer has been affected by living in Tokyo was, well, getting involved with Writers Block Tokyo um, and starting up that group from 2011, and doing the monthly open mics with that collective kind of brought me out for the first time as somebody who performed poetry in a public space, not just writing. And so my whole experience as a spoken word poet and you know somebody who reads poetry out loud in public kind of stemmed from my experience here, you know, being a writer here and getting involved with that community um, all those years ago. Right. So it's really honed your presentation skills. Yeah, basically. Mm -hmm. Great. How about you, Marcellus? Uh, You know, it's really interesting listening to Bianca. There are two things that I noticed that we both have in common. Uh, The first one is the magic number eight. I also started at around eight years old. Uh, I remember, yeah, there is a, yeah, there is a, there's a twilight zone effect here happening. Uh, I started eight years old. Uh, I remember we, I'm, I grew up in a very, very poor family and we grew up in a kind of shitty environment. I don't know if, should I, is, do I, I don't, can I say that word on your podcast? <laughs> so we grew up in a shitty environment and I remember this so clearly having the first experience of sunset and how the sky was all pink and strawberry swirl looking and blue and having this poetic moment. And that was the beginning, I think. How has writing shaped my life? I think that everything that has come about in my life at present stemmed from my writing and performing of poetry. First, Uh, coming to Japan in search of the sort of universality of human experience and hoping that I could use that to be able to better express myself as a writer, Uh, doing my first public performance. And that brings me to the second thing that Bianca and I both have in common is that I am also an extreme introvert. I am actually an introvert who disguises himself as an extrovert, which means I go out, I do parties and things like that. But deep inside, I always just want to be alone, which is kind of weird. I don't even know how that works, even within myself. Uh, I know how it works. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so I started I started performing here first in Tokyo uh, at What the Dickens Long, long ago, like 1996, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember that there was a guy there, his name was Edgar Henry, who was like, oh, my God, who are you? I want to know more. I want to hear more. And he took it upon himself to become my poetry mentor, as it were. And then from there, I 
branched away from that regular poetry scene and started to to perform poetry with DJs at first and then live music. And uh, from there, I began performing with a Japanese pop group called The Dreams Come True. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that scene, poetry had to be simplified and more pop consumable. But still, it was me speaking words, uh, having this sort of poetic moment. And even the current job I have at the university is has been affected by this poetic experience, you know. Oh. So had you published anything before Tokyo Poetry Journal? Well, I have, well, with Writer's Block Tokyo, we did some limited prints of um, anthologies that we put out to coincide with our anniversary for the three years that we were up and running initially. Mm-hmm. And so with those three books that we came and put together, yeah, we did publish those Um here in Tokyo, self-published, printed by um, Printed Matter Press, run by Joe Zangi. Okay, great. Yeah. How about you, Marcellus? Uh, he'd only published a few things, like in some journals or newspapers, uh, mm-hmm. websites. Uh, before Tokyo Poetry Journal, there was actually Printed Matter, which was uh, another poetry journal. I published a poem in that. I had never published any poems in Tokyo Poetry Journal, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, lyrics, though, I've published a plenty, uh, mm-hmm. more than 50 or 60, I think. Great. Uh, lyrics for other artists, uh, poetry collaborations on musical projects, and of course, my work with uh, Dreams Come True. Okay, great. Uh, who are your influences? I was reading uh, Bianca's story in the Umoja book and uh it really reminded me of octavia butler you know um, funnily enough i have <laughs> not read anything by octavia butler oh, and people really? keep saying i should <laughs> and i keep meaning to and so yeah i guess i should read put, some her, octavia on the butler. <laughs> put her on the list yeah, yeah. um as Very far as dear. influences go i i guess well, I wouldn't say influence, but definite inspiration come, you know, comes from people like Toni Morrison, who is one of my mm-hmm. all-time favorite authors. Um, Arundhati Roy, I love both her fiction and nonfiction writing. She's very political and, you know, very passionate about her beliefs. And that bleeds over into her fiction bits also. Um, and who else? Wow, a myriad of people, poets like Derek Walcott from St. Lucia. Um, and yeah, just to name a few. Some mm-hmm. of my, ins- you know, people who've inspired me over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, my inspiration, first and foremost, was my poetry teacher in college, Dr. Mm-hmm. James Magner. I don't know why, but whenever I read a poem to myself, his voice was in my head. And also the other voices in my head constantly (laughs) is Maya Angelou. Oh, yeah. Just love the cadence of her voice and Mm -hmm. the way she looks at the world. Mm. Uh, Other influences are Mary Baraki. I love the sort of creative reaches that he takes within poetry and the way that he expresses himself. Uh, The Last Poets. Gil Scott Heron. I love this whole like 
poet as a troubadour, as an oral interpreter of life mm-hmm. sort of experience, you know. So those guys really, really deeply influenced me a lot. Great. So I've asked you both to read something on the show today. Are you ready to regale us with some gorgeous poems? Yeah, I have oh, a sure. poem that I want to read from the book. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a poem by um, Ravel Shade Fairman. She is a poet, spoken word artist, and workshop facilitator from the UK. And if you want to follow her and, you know, see more of her work, she's on Instagram as at rs underscore poetic perception. So her poem in Umoja, the title, Africa, a continent, not a country. They call themselves tree surgeons, claimed that our roots were infected. So they offered their expertise, just not for free. They used the guise of being more civilized to justify chopping down our tree, then use the same wood to create books that rewrote our history into his story. My ascendant's memory, a mystery, Even when I strive to research about their lives, my ancestors' existence feels too unearthed to ground, roots too fragmented to trace back the sound to familiar soil. Although I parade the coils of my forebears, I feel their spirits embody rhythms which are familiar to my system, yet your tongue speaks in distance, mine in colonization. The resulting hole from our felled tree carves out Jamaica. I know that this is where I belong. But where do I really come from? Yours sincerely, a child of the diaspora. Mm. And that's the poem by Ravel Shade Fairman. Wow. I love that image of the roots of the tree. It's, um, that was wonderful. Thank you, Bianca. Yeah, and it's especially symbolic, you know, talking about colonization, you know, mm-hmm. with, you know, the, the fact that enslaved Africans were, you know, also forbidden from cutting down trees to make drums in order to drum and commune with each other. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, there's definitely that imagery there as well. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, Marcellus, do you have something for us? Uh, yeah, I'll uh, read my own poem. Mm-hmm. Uh, poem is called I Am, and it's actually the first poem that appears in the book Umoja. And the reason why I put it first wasn't because it was my own poem, but because it was a description of what does it mean to be part of the Black diaspora? What does it mean to be Black? So I thought that, that starting the whole book with that explanation was a great way to begin to listen to the voices of the black writers who had contributed to the book. And so the poem, I Am, goes like this. I am the boat that rocked when the cargo was jettisoned. After horizons were gone and the traders could no longer be seen silhouetted against a burning village counting Dutch and English gold. I am the foot that stomped in the mud of plantations, 
where blistering death consumed the drum, where words were cut from their tongues and stitched back in with unsterilized needles, a new language. I am the welt that burned in hot summer suns on the palms, soles, hands, feet, backs of the beast, worth one-third a whole man, but maker of a nation, of economic boom, of textiles and tobacco. I am the vessel of a new god sent from the sons of Abraham across the Nile to Colosseums where lions feasted on flesh, took Constantine's decree, then passed it on to King James Gutenberg and the clan till the rivers no longer flowed, the winds no longer blew, and the rains no longer gave meaning to her tears, I am. I am the zoot-suited minstrel, ducking into speakeasies, anything but silent. My bass beat screams released from the metal made magnificent with the wood and the string of the times, I am. I am the line that stood, shuffling, head low, yes, a boss, from the back of a packed house, full of spirits that would eventually possess them, even those who sip sweet water and waste it into exquisite porcelain, while the makers of their mood and the bringers of their food sifted grit from their teeth and swatted flies from the crusty covered seats I am. I am the uprising, the revolution, the realization, the hundred years after emancipation, the deacons who defended, the panthers who growled against the gnashing fangs of hell hounds let loose upon liquefied streets amid the voices lifting themselves to sing. I am the bulleted king, parks in prison, those plucked by the wing that Holiday wailed of, the unresolved equation, the elimination of X. I am the wave of new consciousness, uncovered freedom, the fuel for Scott Heron's untelevised revolution, the last of the poets unafraid to speak, the rage, the swell, the raucous coalition that found fruition despite the ghetto lands. I am the bang-up western of Tukey, the clash of California, the red and blue that brought fear to the white, brown, yellow, black populations that withdrew into deeper denial as the outlaws flung rocks at businessmen and suburbanites who risked their lives for the high, I am. I am the subject of experimentation that lingers long after Tuskegee, somewhere in Harlem, Cleveland, or Watts, where truckloads of brown bricks smack silliness into the federally funded nod of intoxication. I am the yearning, burning within the crossroads of Johnson's howl, the bitches brew, bubbling stew that moves from reefer madness, bane of society, white daughter salivating, every society from Alabama to Aoyama, changing form, bebop blues, rock to German b-boys of bad Nauheim who are without knowing what it is to really be. I am the culmination of things unmentioned but known, the traffic light, the safety pin, the gas mask, the cure for cataracts, the paper punch, the electronic resistor, the dry clean, the solar eclipse, the peanut. I am the forgotten names called buffalo by indigenous people pushed forward to the oil fields. I am the artist, the inventor, the visionary, the entertainer, the athlete, the past, present, future bringer of world culture, the gangster, the drug dealer, the father, the astronaut, the statesman, the wise men, and sometimes the fool. I am the living proof that despite all the Katrinas ignored, I will find a way to survive. The Witch Way Spellcast with Sorceress Chisholm. 
You're listening to the Witch Way Spellcast with Sosha S. Chisholm, and I have been speaking with Bianca Bailey and Marcellus Neely. They are the editors of Umoja, a new collection of poems and stories and photos and artistry and all sorts of amazing creative uh, content from uh, many Black creatives around the globe. So I do have a question for you. What advice would you give to Black writers and creatives who are wanting to get out there? Uh, For me, just, you know, I would say just keep doing the thing that you do. You know, it's difficult. There is a lot of gatekeeping in certain industries, you know, with things factoring in race, gender, um, gender identity, sexuality, stuff like that. But even with those barriers, just keep creating, keep doing what you do. And eventually you'll find your people, you'll find your community um, of artists and creators who share a similar vision of what you want to put out into the world. So yeah, just keep doing what you want to do. Mm. Yeah. And my advice is uh, to follow Bianca's advice first, (laughs) which (laughs) is uh, to keep what you keep doing what you want to do. But while you're doing that, also keep searching for your own unique way of doing it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do not fall into the trap of becoming a cliche of following a trend or trying to be popular. Don't don't write because you want to be clever. Write because you want to share, you want to express, you want to reach the energy beyond this physical world that exists outside of yourself, the original person who you were before you were encased in flesh and bones. What I'm trying to say is find your own voice while you are moving forward. I have one final question for you both. What does magic mean to you? Uh, To me, well, magic, magic, there's magic in creating. There's definitely magic in creating something, taking an idea, taking a thought, just even a spark of a thought and weaving that into something that you can put out into the world and share with others there's definitely something magical about that um so for me just the act of creating is magic yeah for me magic is the manifestation of unexpected reality from action and thought so in that sense What Bianca said is very, very true. Creativity is a kind of magic. Uh, Writing poetry is a kind of magical incantation. It allows you to be able to manifest this beautiful thing that comes from your, your intention, comes from your thought. And it allows you to be able to affect others to share that feeling. So when you read a poem or sing a song or show a picture or illustration and you 
transfer that emotion that you felt or you allow someone else to release something that they've had inside of them through your work, you've created a kind of magic. So to me, that's what magic is. She's a leader. 